Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are joined by our full panel this week. Brian is is back. He has recovered from the first attempt of a fascist takeover of America. Brian, how are you doing? I'm feeling well rested and, you know, hopeful. Hopeful. Did, did you and the other Antifa super soldiers, uh, you know, get your work in last week? Um, well, not really in Florida. Um... It was a losing battle against many geriatrics, and um, but otherwise, yeah. Well, hopefully uh, the guy who got really mad at me for calling Donald Trump a fascist enjoys this part of the podcast. Ben, how are you doing um, on the Internet's most Antifa Tottenham Hotspur podcast? Oh, you know, me and my fellow Black Block went out there and voted. It was... Uh... How many times? How, Super did you, crazy. Did, did you get oh, all the like votes in in Georgia? 500 times. Yeah, man. I voted so many times. Good work. Good work. Yeah. The benefit of working from home is you have availability to just vote regularly and consistently. Right. You have a little downtime at the office. You just you just swing by the, the precinct and go vote. And, 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 and frankly, like, you know, given the streams we've navigated for soccer over the years, we're very adept at hacking internet, uh, you know, voter databases. So... Oh yeah, I don't understand why when I'm voting, there's like all the like the people in the chat on the side who keep like screaming nonsense. But I don't know, it's just part of it. it's just part of it. Yeah, it's democracy. You know. <laughs> I mean, you can't vote without boner pill ads. <laughs> uh, so moving moving away from depressing things to slightly more depressing things, we played West Brom this week, and uh, we came away one 0 winners after a fairly uninspiring game. Uh, Brian, since you weren't here last week, we'll start with you. Was this a bad performance by Spurs, or is this just a team like West Brom going up the works? Um, I'm going to say bad performance. Um, I think it's maybe like a tactical decision to have bad performances on behalf of the manager, but I think all in all, not what you'd be looking for in an away match um, against a team that has yet to win a game in the Premier League this year. Um, you know, West Brom have one of the worst defenses in the league. Um, they have, like, no real goal threat to speak of. And, you know, they've got a midfield that's manned by Tottenham Hotspur cast-off Jake Livermore. Excuse me, that is Luka Modric's replacement, Jake Livermore. Chris Hutton's uh, unacknowledged son, Jake Livermore. Uh, you know, I, this is really a game that if you put the uh, the starting eleven side by side, you're like, oh, w- w- Spurs will walk this. And we didn't really. We didn't. We didn't really control the match for large stretches. Um, you know, we we allowed them to have twelve shots. Um, we allowed a lot of set pieces. You know, um, 
Gallagher, I think is what his name was, the guy with the dumb blonde highlights. Like, he hit the post um, from a fairly dangerous position. Like, I, this wasn't a game that, like, really screamed out that Spurs are a dominant side and, you know, it was a it was a gritty 1-0 win. It was just like, we kind of got lucky on a late... Um, on a late half chance, and you know we have one of the best strikers in football, and that was the difference. Like it was not a good overall team performance. Yeah, it was bad, and not just bad; it was bad to watch. Like it was just so so tedious, especially the first half. Honestly, like the first like seventy minutes uh, were just not not fun soccer to enjoy. Um, you know, I think, I think after seeing how the substitutes changed the game, I would, I don't think, I hope that Jose has learned that Musa is not offering anything, especially in games like this, like Burnley, like the games that we've played recently where, you know, it's not a good team. We don't need his physical presence. He doesn't really give us anything going forward really doesn't give us enough defensively anyway like he's just not a plus player and you're just playing a man down every time he's on the pitch and i don't like i know we've done the fucking we hate musa suzoko narrative for years now and it's kind of a tired conversation but it he just makes things so much more tedious than they need to be in a team that is ostensibly built on moving the ball forward quickly and countering quickly he just he gums up our works more than anything that West Brom did. Would you rather have? And I'm just. Would you rather have Harry Winks out there just as a one for one swap? And I know that's not exactly the right solution, but would you have rather just taken Sissoko off, put Harry Winks on, all other things being equal? I would have been happy with that. I think. I think Winks we've seen in games against bad teams sometimes gets a little adventurous and starts playing progressive passes, starts going on jaunty little runs through midfield. Like, you know, he also will, like, take the ball, see eight options in front of him, stop, turn around, and pass it back to the keeper. And, like, yes, that's going to happen. But I I think he has the capability of not being tedious in a way that Musa Sissoko just doesn't seem to. Um, and the thing is, is, as long as he's not, like, playing in lieu of both and Dombele and Lo Celso, you know, he has guys very near him he can play a safe pass to who can then do something interesting with the ball. My, I, my, I would much rather see that. My favorite thing Sissoko does, and he did this a couple times in this match, is, and it's not all the time, but it's enough of the time you get used to seeing it, is he'll get the ball and do something that, like, starts really well. Like, he'll start making a diagonal run, like cutting inside, or he'll sort of, like, dribble past a man in a way that's kind of impressive, and you... You know, you sort of perk up. You're like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, you know, and especially because I think the way he moves and the things he's capable of physically, you get sort of interested initially, and then he just dribbles into a cul-de-sac or gives the ball away or makes, like, he's got three passing options and he picks the absolute worst one or none at all sometimes. And it's just like, I don't know. It's it's like, on the one hand, I kind of understand why a manager, why man, we've talked about this on this podcast, I understand why managers sort of believe in him or convince themselves they can use him because he's such a physical presence and he can run for days and not get hurt. And But it's you're right, you watch him out there and you're just kind of like, 
what are we doing? Like, I mean, there's got to be better options. I mean, like, you say this every week. Like, you literally yeah. say this yeah. same story every week, and it's like, but you've seen that that isn't the case. Like, well, this, Lucas so Moore I'm, I'm illustrating. On. I'm illustrating how this happens to every manager who's ever coached him. I know, but how many times does it have to happen? It's like, Lucas Moura came on for him in the last ten minutes yeah. and played largely a similar role where he was, like, doing defensive stuff in kind of wide areas, kind of dribbling through the midfield. Like, he did a better job yeah. impersonating Musa Suzuko than Musa Suzuko did. I'm like, that's definitely not Lucas's position, but I would rather we start next not next week because we have the international break, but the week after, I would rather start Lucas in Suzuko's position. If there's ever a week to decide which week, who you want to start, Lucas or Suzuko, it's an international break. Brian? Brian, you're muted. Come on, we got this out of your system before we started. <laughs> you take one best. week off, you take one week off, and you're just off the wagon. You know, look, it was the computer <laughs> that was muted, not the microphone. I checked the microphone. The point is, I was going to try to move away from the Musa Sissoko. Good, discourse thank you, yes. And talk about all the other players that sucked. Um, no, uh, look, I, I think collectively there were a couple of good performances. I think, you know, Harry Kane played well. I think Hoybeard played very well. And, uh, I don't know, Dyer and Lloris were fine. Uh, I thought Dyer was, I mean, again, we're grading on a bit of a curve here, but considering some of the performances we've had out of Dyer... I thought Dyer had a pretty decent game, to be honest with you. Yeah, but, you know, like, everybody else, not really at the races. Like, Tongi and Dombele did some cool stuff, but, you know, overall, not a great performance. Worst game in a minute, honestly, I think. Even though he had some very good moments, I think that was Ndombele's worst game in a while. Um, And then Gareth Bale and Hungman Sun really didn't do much of anything. Bale was a total passenger. That was that was. I mean, I still think that fitness just isn't there for him yet, or the sharpness. But it's not. I mean, look, I, I thought we looked a lot better when we brought Vinicius on, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was just him being having fresh legs and doing a lot more running um, than Bale was doing, or if it was just you know having another big body to go against the the bigger central defenders from West Brom. But but I thought that we looked a lot better when he came on. I, you know, look, I, I think that the way we've been playing these last three weeks is like a direct reaction to conceding those three goals against West Ham. And it was something, that, you know, The Athletic wrote an article about today that, you know, Spurs and Jose Mourinho are trying to be more strategic about how they approach games and they're trying to kind of dial it back a little bit in terms of, you know, the the... the, the the defensive weaknesses and it's worked the last three games we've won all three of them and we've conceded one goal um so that's great but we've also turned in kind of tepid boring performances when we do have the ball and that's less great or at least less great for us as podcasters because then we have to do this every week i I Um, think there is and i think spurs are to blame for a lot of the issues you just talked about brian but I think it would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that we are playing teams that are not exact. Brighton may be excluded, but Burnley and West Brom certainly are teams that are not, you know, are comfortable playing games like the ones we've seen us play. And I don't think it's entirely a coincidence that we've seen these kind of games against those teams. Right, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't right. be, you know, like able to handle these games. Like, I, I mean, look, 
how long have we done this podcast? How long has this been the narrative about Spurs and being able to attack bunker defenses? Like it's been before we even did this podcast, we all knew that this was a thing that we struggled with. And, you know, now we actually have good creative players in the team and we didn't really utilize any of them um, to, to, you know, effectuate this game plan because it seems like Jose Mourinho is more concerned with covering defensively, defensive solidity, and it's like, look at the strikers West Brom is running out there. Do you really need to worry about having two guys, you know, playing in a defensive midfield role? Well, what I think is and not only the strikers, but like West Brom bench both Gray Diagana and uh, Matthias Pereira, who are their two only creative players, and they said, "You guys take take a rest, and we're going to play." You know, two mediocre strikers to kind of be our only outlet for for creating chances and hope we can steal something. Like, they did not show up to play. And even seeing that, we still played a very reactive game rather than being like, okay, they don't want to do anything. Let's just, like, beat the shit out of them because we're better than them. Well, what I think is interesting about this reaction that Brian talked about is, like, we didn't, like, blow that lead against West Brom because we were playing swashbuckling football and got caught out. We just got West Ham? West Ham, sorry. Yeah, West Ham. We just were... We just got kind of lazy and sloppy at the end of the game. Like, they weren't, like, hitting us on the break when we were, like, trying to play champagne football in their half. I mean, you know, we just got kind of lazy and sloppy. So this shouldn't be a either-or proposition. And maybe it won't be going forward. I don't know. I think... To me, I thought what was very interesting about this game was the instant improvement when Lo Celso came on. And I understand that a big reason we're not seeing as much of Lo Celso is, injured, is injuries. But, um, you know, I just thought, like, honestly, I was shocked. At, I mean, it's sort of something you know that Lo Celso helps to sort of manage games a little bit better. But just the way we started ticking everything over and how we instantly looked more dangerous when he came on, you know, I don't think that was a coincidence. I mean, I think it was not just Lo Celso, that we did look better. We kind of dialed up the intensity. But also when, when Lucas and Vinicius came on mm-hmm. and, you know, and took off both Bale and Suzoko, who we've already talked about, who were terrible. Um, but it's all these you know, things I, working in concert. I mean, the, we're opening them up a lot more. And, you know, how much of that is Lucas and Vinicius? I think that is there. But I think you could just tell the way we were moving the ball around just got so much better with Lo Celso on. Yeah, well, I think I think part of the problem, I, I think tactically, I would diagnose two real problems with why we're not playing as effectively as we used to when we were like looking really swashbuckly. The first is, if you look at like the way our our balance of our team is on the left hand side, we have Ndombele, who plays on the left side of midfield and mostly stays on the left side of the pitch, uh, Hungman Son and Regula, and like. That is where, like, all of the attacking energy kind of has to come from. Regulon is the guy who bombs down the pitch. Sun we rely on, obviously, a ton. And Ndombele is the guy progressing the ball. On the other side of the pitch, we have Suzuko, Doherty, and Bale. And Doherty is not capable of bombing down the flank to the same degree that Regulon is. Um, Suzuko, we know, is not going to, like, move the ball very effectively through midfield. Uh, And Gareth Bale was just kind of, like, a passenger. So... It makes us very easy to defend when the only guys we have to worry about are on one side of the pitch, and West Brom can just basically ignore the other half of the pitch because they're not going to do anything. And the other thing is, is you know, we talked a lot about earlier in the season is Kane becoming this like dynamic number ten who drops deep, gets the ball, and 
and you know pings creative passes and whatever but you know in this game he had no outlets on half of the pitch Bale was nowhere Doherty wasn't providing an outlet up the pitch like Aurier did um and Sun just had a bad game so there's just nowhere to go with the ball well, and, and I think when you, when you combine and, that with Ndombele just not having the best day of his career right. it well, makes it even worse and even then, Ndombele created a hell of a chance for Son. It right. just didn't come but like, off. The three guys that we kind of count on on that left side were having off days. And again, I think we're easier to defend because the right side was so limited. You know, I think I think as the game went on, Doherty got more involved. And I don't think it's an accident that he was finally the guy who was free to provide that floated ball into Kane. It was like he had almost lulled them into a false sense of security because they're like, we don't have to worry about this well, guy. I think anything. there was also this like especially once we ratcheted up the pressure. And this is, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think against Burnley. We talked about how these are the kind of games that Doherty should be perfect for, kind of like how Trippier and Davies were back a couple years ago, which is, you know, like, okay, well, this team's not going to be adventurous. You should be able to get advanced and sort of do your thing. And I think once we started, like you said, Ben, ticking up the pressure, he was able to get more involved in that. And I don't think it was necessarily he lulled them to a false sense of security, but he was doing no, the... Yeah, he was doing the thing that we expected Doherty to do. And honestly, there's a lot of value if you have a right back or a left back who's like, they're decent against bad sides. Put the other guy on against like the better sides, but this guy can like get up the pitch and just sort of fuck around with bad teams. Like, there's a lot of value in that, especially if if you can rotate him with a, with like a different type of player, like we have with Aurier, who is either hurt or could be feuding with Mourinho. We don't know. He just hasn't played in a little bit. Um, I think he's actually injured, but. You know, I, I actually thought this wasn't like and again, this is sort of damning with faint praise. I, I thought this wasn't one of Dory I thought this was one of Doherty's better games with us. Um, to be quite frank. Now, I mean he had a great assist for the goal, so that has a lot to do with it too, but I mean it's the only if we're I think it's the only decent performance that I've seen him put in for Spurs, and that's you know, counting the assist in his favor, because up until that point he wasn't like great. I'm very over the Matt Doherty experience. I don't blame I, you for that. I'm just saying in the and again grading on a curve here. It's it was fine. Like it was not. He wasn't like getting. We weren't getting our ass kicked because of him. He was moving the especially later in the game in those last thirty minutes. He was at a minimum sort of progressing the ball into the final third and allowing us to start shit. Right, and that's why as good as Lo Celso was, I don't know that I would attribute so much of our change to just Lo Celso being on the pitch as a general ratcheting up of intensity over the course of the second half as we were like, are we really going to walk away with a nil-nil draw against West Brom? And so we started having guys who were, you know, we were were much more on the front foot in that second half. And we started sending guys forward and committing guys forward and not just sitting in our defensive shell, you know, hoping for the best. Um, You know, I think we got more expansive in our play. But we... We've, we've talked. We were talking last week about how Spurs aren't comfortable. Mourinho teams just aren't comfortable in possession. They want to get the ball up as fast, and they don't. They want to defend against bad chances. But I think Lacelso really makes a difference in terms of when we need to keep the ball around. And it's sort of either how he plays or how Mourinho is comfortable using him. But we just seem much more comfortable with like just sort of doing that kind of not like I think he's he's very important to the attack and he helps with that, but. Just sort of holding on to the ball and not allowing the other team to cut us open. I think Lacelso does so much of that to an extent, that, like, and because I think he's willing to do some of that like dirty Lamella work that Indombele doesn't do um, because that's not his game. But 
I, I, I know we haven't seen a lot of Ocelso this year. It's just when we have seen him, it just makes me feel so much better about what we're going to do when we're not scoring goals. Yeah, I mean, this is why I want to see him and Ndombele together mm-hmm. because, you know, they're similar players and they're both very good at progressing the ball and, and being creative on the ball. But, like, Ndombele definitely has a tendency to try and force things. Like, he's always gets the ball and immediately looks vertical and tries to, like, make a really incisive progressive pass. And if it's not on, it's just it's just turnovers. Um, whereas I think Lo is a much kind of calmer, silkier player and that, you know, he'll do the Winks thing where he'll make the sideways pass if that's what needs to be and, you know, move to a position to receive it further up the pitch and, like, kind of keep the ball ticking over until it's ripe for that, you know, creative mm-hmm. pass. Much more like Christian Eriksen would do, you know. Um, but I think you get both of them on the pitch and now suddenly, you know, you're unlocking teams in a lot of different ways and it, and it looks very exciting. And I just... I wish they weren't treated as one midfielder who plays a 90 I really season. do think that once Loselso's fit, we're going to see what you're talking about. I, I mean, maybe, again, not all the time because he was marshalling his resources, but I do think a lot of this is just down to the fact Loselso is... They are clearly treating him with kick gloves right now because they don't want him to re-injure his groin or his hamstring. I'm not sure what it is, but he is clearly have fitness, has fitness issues right now. Yeah, but the one player in our midfield that doesn't have fitness issues because he plays every fucking minute of every game is Pierre, whatever his name is, Hoybjerg. Emil. <laughs> I was going to call him Emmerich. I don't know. I'm sorry. Pierre um, Emmerich. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, but I-, I wanted to talk about him specifically from this game because, again, it's just he's been like – the consummate defensive midfielder, like the, the the thing that Spurs actually needed, and I, and I think we as a group were pretty you know excited about this signing um, over the summer. But I think we kind of all agreed that he was functional, but not like going to be a superstar or anything. And I think kind of in this team, we're making him look like a superstar. Um, or a superstar as like a defensive midfielder anyway. Like he's everywhere. He breaks up play. He makes runs into the box. He makes progressive passes. Like he's been really amazing for us. Um, you know, with his play, and then everybody seems to be lauding his leadership capabilities. Like, like this guy's been great. I think you. you I think it's, you're seeing what you want to see with a guy like him. You put him around better players. In a team that's going to play a little bit more expansively, and you know he stepped his game up this year. And I'm, I'm, I mean, Ben, I'm sure you'll talk more specifically about what he's doing, but I think it's just you know it's something I think we used to see a lot more, which is you took a guy you know back in the, like the early 2000s, early 2010s rather at Spurs, I mean, where we would buy these kind of guys. Like I mean, Scott Parker, I think is sort of the obvious example, which was that was kind of relatively short lived, but you know, you get a guy who's really sort of killing it at a lower level and you put him around better players in a team that sort of is able to play at a higher level and they raise their level to that new team. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing with Hoybjerg. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like, I I was a little mad on Peh uh, this summer. Go to your you know? room. <laughs> but, I'm happy that you were able to make that joke and that you feel good about it. I mean, I don't feel good about it, but I feel like I had to do it because I'm not really happy with myself and uh, my life right now. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, 
Let's just all Ben, Ben, you gotta man. keep it rolling. Just let it, just, we'll just let uh, it no dead air. Can't have dead air. We're can't good. Dead air. Can't Everybody's let it sink in. Can't let it sink good. in. Everybody's happy. No, I mean, like, I yeah, I thought he was an unspectacular signing. A guy who I liked at Southampton and thought had a lot of talent and did a lot of things. Um, you know, at Southampton, he was very much a jack of all trades. And I think it's kind of a case where we're seeing that maybe that's because they needed him to be and not because that's who he is. Um, he seems to be playing in a much more well-defined role for Spurs than he did at Southampton. Um you know, he's not charged with, like, trying to play, like, line-breaking passes all the time. He's not responsible for, like, pressing like a maniac all around midfield. Um, he's able to kind of sit deep, defend in transition where he needs to, keep the ball moving, again, comfortably, and pick his spots when he goes forward. Pick his spots when he plays a nice ball through the lines. Um, and, you know, taking that kind of like all of the things that he needed to do at Southampton away from him and allowing him to just play this dedicated role. I think you've seen him get better at the things that we knew he could do and also kind of see him be a lot better at some of the things that, you know, he only looked a little maybe average at, um, at Southampton. Um, but I mean, as much as I like Regulon, I think he is definitely the signing of the summer. Um, and I can't imagine where it would be if we didn't have him. He is, I think, I think it's a little bit underrated, honestly, that I, he's exactly the midfielder we've been sort of crying out for for the last couple of years. I mean, Celso and Ndombele do very exciting things. They are very good additions to our team. They are absolutely what we need in midfield, but like we have been crying out for this sort of like steady defensive presence in our midfield who can just do this kind of dirty work. And, you know, we're not making Delhi do it or someone who has better things to do on the pitch. We we finally found someone to do this. And I was thinking the other day, like, God, what if we'd had him in our Champions League run? Like, how would that have looked? Well, and, I mean, if you remember, you know, two summers ago we were talking about, or, well, I guess last summer, I guess, yeah. What, what time is gone? Uh, but when we signed in Dombele, we were talking about, oh, he's look, he's really not a defensive midfielder. Like, can he do some of the stuff that Musa Dembele did, where he has to play as the deepest player in midfield and where he has to be, you know, sort of covering for the defense? And you know, we thought he could, and then little did we know, Jose would just deploy him as this, you know, sort of number ten or you know. Ten and a half, or whatever we're gonna call it, um, player, and, and and he has basically no defensive responsibility other than to occasionally press and then quickly transition the ball up the field. And so, you know, the addition of a player like Hoiberg has been, you know, incredibly key to the the style of play that Mourinho wants to put out there to us having a consistent base in midfield and you know in this game specifically it was just great he was everywhere he was you know in defense in attack he managed to be 10 yards offside on that vinicius chance i don't know how he got there um you know like he he was really good so let's talk about another addition um i don't think there's as much there isn't as nearly as much talk about here but i Found myself very encouraged by Vinicius um, in this game. Uh, I mean, he's really, we're talking about, uh, I mean, he had one kind of mediocre performance in the Europa League, but a very promising Europa League performance before that, admittedly against Lask or whoever the hell it was against. 
But I was kind of very, I mean, again, it's a very small sample size. I was very impressed by what he was doing in this game. I mean, I mean, the shot he created for himself I thought was really good. But just the sort of movement and how dangerous he seemed. And I was very, like, I, mean, I guess maybe I should have been, but I was, I'm very interested to see him and Kane play at the same time now. Because I don't think it's a total coincidence we looked as dangerous as we did with both of them on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot, and then last week we ran through a whole list of players who could play in that third attacking role, whether that was, you know, Lucas or Bale or Lamella or Deli or whoever. But we didn't actually talk about Vinicius in that job. Um, and, like, the more I, I watched this game, the more I was like, he is the guy we should be bringing on. You know, if Kane is going to play this non-striker striker role where he comes deep and facilitates, then... I don't know that there's a better player on this team besides a, a peak Deli Alley at making runs off the ball and getting in shooting positions than I mean, besides Sun than than Vinicius at you know like Gareth Bale does has not seemed up to the task and like maybe he can get fit and get there but like right now this guy is looks like the real deal he looks like a striker he looks like a guy who moves off of defenders well. He looks like he can create enough space to get his own shots. And not just that, but he looks like he has, like, nice little interplay in and around the box. Like, he'll make a little flick and then make a run off of that. Or, you know, just play somebody else in and, you know, let, let them go for a goal. Like, well, he, he does a lot. He doesn't do that thing, and I know we're talking about a striker or attacker, however you want to call it. I mean, and not a midfielder. But he doesn't do that thing that I think we get really frustrated with Sissoko and Winks, and some of these other guys where it's like they sort of just play the ball into nowhere. Like, everything he's sort of doing, in that, especially in the final third, which is part of what I find so refreshing, is he's, he, it's all dangerous. It feels like it's leading somewhere. It's like, you, I feel like I'm constantly watching him do something. And I know that this is a little bit of like, we have very low expectations for Vinicius, or relatively speaking, I think we do. But... We're watching him, and I, I constantly find myself going like, "Oh, that wasn't bad. Like, you know, that was a nice move. Like, his shot was, I mean, you know, I mean, he was very unfortunate that ball didn't go in. I mean, the keeper was being shielded. I mean, he really whipped that ball in there at a very low angle. I mean, it was. I'm again, like, we got this kind of weird player from Portugal who came up in a very uh, unconventional way, so there wasn't a lot of hype surrounding him, but. In limited minutes, it's been nothing but positives as far as I'm concerned. Or at least you, you couldn't ask for more in the minutes we've seen him. I mean, you could ask for a goal. I mean, you know. No, I would never. It's Tottenham Hotspur. Like, let's not get carried away. Only people allowed to score goals on this team. And if anybody else scores a goal, I'm going to be pissed. Right. I mean, but I think you guys are right. I think that, you know, and I think the thing that Ben hit on that I am most pleased about with him is just his movement. Like our backup striker was Fernando Llorente and there was very minimal movement from him. Like if the ball hit him that, and which is, you know, some of his most famous goals just are the result of the ball hitting him. Um, so, you know, that, that was kind of the standard. And so for Vinicius to be out there and to be mobile and, and, even if he wasn't making smart runs, which I think he is, like the 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 move to get open for the chance that he that he gets in that game where he stops, 
you know, draws back to the top of the box and puts himself in, you know, mm-hmm. four or five yards of space. That's smart. That's like he could have crashed the near post and then that that chance wouldn't have existed. Well, and, um, and Brian, real quick, just while you're on that chance, I think something worth talking about on that chance is he takes two bad touches and still gets off a good shot. Like, yeah, he bangs it off his knee somehow. I yeah. have no idea. I have no idea what he was doing, and then he still got off a halfway decent shot. Like, um, you know, look. I mean, I, I, I don't expect him to be a world beater. You know, because we've all, all we've talked about is you know we just need somebody to spell Harry Kane. We need somebody to take some minutes off his plate, and that's not what he did in this game, of course. But he's done that a little bit in the Europa League, and. Um, you know, I, we're not going to have, you know, uh, a Jota or a, um, a Bashuai or, you know, uh, anybody like that as our as our backup striker. But, but this kid just, like, looks decent when he comes on. And I think that's really all we can ask. And, you know, it's somebody who has some proven experience rather than, you know, 19-year-old Troy Parrott. So I'm inclined to see more of him. I mean, I don't know why you're dreaming on Crystal Palace's backup striker right now, but, like, yeah. I was thinking of the other Belgian that plays for Liverpool. Um, what's his name? Origi? Origi? Yep. Yep. I don't want to talk about him. We, we, don't, we don't talk about him around here. But, yeah, so, like, one of the things that, like, I, I have enjoyed about both watching him play and, like, the highlights that I've seen is he seems like a very unfussy, you know, two three touch kind of player you know we've talked about like how like lucas and, and lamella tend to really overplay um the ball and get themselves into trouble trying to do too much um in his you know in in his best game was against last he had like 11 passes and of those 11 passes he created seven shots uh which is like just an, an insane return um and that's not like going to be indicative of, of like how he plays. It's not like he's going to turn three fourths of his passes into shots, but it does give you an idea of like what he's looking to do with the ball when he gets it, and it is turn that ball into a shot as quickly as possible, whether that's his own shot or somebody else's. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to go dribbling down blind alleyways, a guy who's going to try and beat three men, you know, before putting in a shitty cross, like. He is geared in on, on the goal and finding whoever has the best shot, whether that's him or somebody else. And, you know, I don't think that's what Jose has in mind for that third attacker, um, you know, seeing all the guys he's tried in that role. But I, the, the more I see him, and especially seeing him come on in this game, the more I think that might be correct. You know, play Kane as, like, the 10 behind him and Son, and... You know, see if you, that can get us cooking because that right now I think is just we're one missing piece away from our attack actually functioning. You know, I we've mean, been look, carrying a lot of passengers in a lot of games. Tons of worse teams than us do this, where they throw on a second striker, a big guy, it, at the end of games, and they're just like, all right, we're just going to pump balls into the box and we're going to see if that works. And like, that's not necessarily what we've been doing with Vinicius, but he's a big guy. He gives us that option. And then he also gives us what Ben identified earlier. He gives us those smart runs. He gives us some of those little interplays. He he gives us you know that he tries to create stuff when he when he gets on the ball. Like our 
options off the bench don't always have to be like for like. It doesn't have to be Mura for Bale or Lamella for Bale. Like we can switch to a four four two or a three five two or whatever. We we now have an additional player who is, you know, identifiably a striker. And, you know, we can play with him and Kane on the pitch now. I like and, and if you think well, back, the thing is, I, I don't think I'm it's sorry, a coincidence. I'm not, even talking, I'm not even talking about off the bench. I'm saying is this a potential solution to our starting lineup? And having looked at, like, the last run of three or four games where we aren't really putting attacks together, largely because we have Kane and Son who look amazing and we don't have a third guy to play with them. Well, especially, especially against if we're going to play teams like Burnley or West Brom, which to some extent are trying to gum everything up. You know, Vinicius, you play the balls, he does all those things, but like you were saying, Brian, I mean, he can just get it in the, get in the mixer and use his height advantage if we want to. So he offers us a lot. I think something worth remembering is something Pochettino was always like very curious about but never sort of found anyone to really do it with. It seemed like he repeatedly was very interested in getting like Kane on with another striker and just seeing what he could do with it. And he clearly, you know, he sort of like lost patience with Jansen fairly quickly. But he was before Kane got injured that season. He was fucking with it quite a bit, um, like late in matches. And it's not something we've seen a lot of. And I'd like to see a, like at least against like you know if if like one of the advantages of you, you, the Europa League group stage this year is we play some bad teams that if you want to experiment in those games, like, God bless, because we'll still probably win them. And if we don't, we can afford to lose one or two. So I, I'd like to see, I, I would like to see more of Vinicius on this pitch at the same time as Kane, whether that's starting the match or as a substitution later in the match. Uh, I wanted, Let's talk about our starting striker, because I, I do want to talk about Kane a little bit, because we were having an interesting conversation offline that I, I'd like to carry on here, which is, I mean, Harry Kane had another... I don't know about a great game, but he had a great goal to win us this game, which I, I think that goal speaks to what an impressive striker Kane can be when he's on. And I think, Ben, you and I talked last week about how Kane's back and how impressive that is. I find it sort of striking how what's the how sort of low his reputation is outside of Spurs fans, considering his achievements. Like, he, he just got 150 goals in a Spurs shirt, or it was in the Premier League, or two... 200, yeah, sorry. Um, he, I mean, he, he is, I think, by any standard, one of the best players in the world during his tenure at Spurs. And I think in England in particular, but, you know, pretty much outside of Spurs fandom, he is not, I think, given the sort of respect he's due. Uh, and I'm not trying to say this is like a whiny Spurs fan. I'm not trying to do with that ESPN UK thing. I don't think it's ableism or anything like that. I just think it's interesting, and I think a lot of this is probably because he plays at Tottenham Hotspur and not Manchester United or Liverpool or Chelsea, but I just find it very interesting that he is as good as he is and I think still regarded as, you know, it's like, I think Spurs fans are seen as a little ridiculous when they talk about how good Kane is, and I'm sure we can be, but I also think he's ridiculously underrated um, on the world stage. So that was a lot. I don't know who wants to take that first. I look okay. So just to correct, just to make sure we get the correct stat out there: two hundred goals, three hundred total games. Thank you. Sorry about that. He, he's he's. I think you're you are correct about the one fifty. It's one fifty something. I think. In I think Premier League. League. Yeah. Yeah. But two hundred overall goals, three hundred overall matches. You know, basically two goals every three games. 
what else do you want in a striker? I mean, Collymore, Stan Collymore, which I'm sorry for bringing that up, but he wrote this article about like how Kane lacks the X factor of all these other, or he wasn't as dazzling as some of these other strikers. Who Kane's like goal rate is far beyond. I mean, guys who just didn't even get close to Kane's goal total, certainly not in the amount of time Kane has done. And it's just, I, I just think it's crazy the way he's kind of regarded. You, you know, look, I, obviously. I talk to mostly Tottenham Hotspur fans. I experience football through a lens of being a Tottenham Hotspur fan. But I do think Kane is pretty well respected. I mean, certainly with England fans. I think really? Because I, I get... I, look, I think England fans certainly recognize his importance to their national team. And, you know, I think football football fans in the world at large, maybe not. But I don't. I, I don't think he's like... He's not chopped liver or anything in some of these people's eyes. Like, would he have higher profile if he was at Manchester United? Yes, probably. Would he have a higher profile if he was at Liverpool? Sure. But I think he's, I think he's still well regarded. I just, I, I mean, I don't know what you want the standard to be here. Like, do you want people to consider him to be on the same level as Lewandowski? Do you I, want... I mean, partially, yeah, because I don't think I, I think a lot of world football fans would. Take that as slightly ridiculous, and I don't think it is ridiculous. Like, I mean, Lewandowski, you know, you want to tell me he's a better striker than Kane, I'm not going to have any problem with that. But I just think there's sort of like when Kane hits these milestones, 150 goals in the Premier League, whatever, people kind of scoff at that. And there's that, there's this like sort of zombie perception of like, you know, that like, oh, that flat track bully, or he only gets tap ins, you know, that kind of. Like, that kind of conversation, I feel like, has never entirely died out. And I think a guy who's achieved as much as can, I'm not, I'm more just curious about it than, like, angry or anything. It's just, it's, it's, considering we saw this milestone this weekend, and I think people were a little more dismissive of it than I would have expected, I'm just sort of baffled by it. Yeah, I mean, Kane, so Kane is at 150 Premier League goals, which is level with Michael Owen in ninth all time in the Premier League. Um... You know, and I think the the question isn't how good is he going to be. Is like, can he catch Shearer at two sixty? Like that is what's in his sights, given his age and how much time he has left. You know, can he get another hundred goals in another four or five years? You know, it's it's not necessarily beyond him. And you know, Alan Shearer, I think, is treated by everybody as a a national treasure, like. You know, everybody treats him as great. Um, there's no debate over his legacy. You know, I mean, he won the league with Blackburn. How could there be? Uh, but, like... But never know, played so for that much... big team. He never played for that big team. But, right. You know. And I do think that maybe that's... Some of that is why he's able to be recognized so so fondly in hindsight. It's like he was a Newcastle player. There's no there's no fandom constituency who is aggressively anti-Newcastle. Well, yeah. Right. That matters. You know, in a way that's going to, like, tarnish his legacy. Um, but, like, you know, Kane's, like, goals for game ratio is is literally second to none in, like, the people over 100 goals. Um, Henri and Aguero are close, uh, very close. But, like, again, nobody's going to dispute that Aguero and Henri are some of the best strikers to ever play the game. And for some reason, Harry Kane doesn't seem to be given that same credit. And I, I don't know. I Part of my thought is that because Harry Kane is such a boring individual and has just nothing else to talk about in the tabloids, it's like you have this 
He's the England captain. He's like the best English player of his generation. He's married yeah, to his childhood sweetheart. Like he's not. Right. He's got kids. He's like a nice. He doesn't go out clubbing and like making a scene. Like there's just nothing to say about him. So the only thing you can say about it is like, well, is he actually good? You know, like Wayne Rooney was like shagging grannies. It's like there's there's fodder to like talk shit about Wayne Rooney without talking about his ability as a player. And, you know, I mean, they certainly did, especially once he became England captain. But it's it's hard to, like, look back at, like, you know, the big beloved English players. Like, David Beckham, again, had a very rich tabloid life. It was very easy to talk about all of that instead of being like, is he actually that good? I, You know, like, now I think people are having a conversation about how just how good David Beckham maybe really was. But... I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know why nobody gives Harry Kane the credit. I, I think some of it is, like, like real quick, and I know none of us are England fans in the way that maybe some other podcasts could offer. Like, I don't think Kane has had a real, either a an outstanding international tournament or a definitive England moment. I, I, I would be very hard-pressed to think, you know, I know he scored goals for England, but, like, I don't think he's had that moment, like, in the way that, say, a Beckham did or a Rooney did. I think maybe that's part of it, that he hasn't, like, had that, like, blinding success on the international level if if he's going to play for a club like Tottenham, which is not sort of in the tippy-top tier of English football in terms of what people expect, like, England's best, the, the kind of team people expect England's best player to be on. I mean, I mean like he led them to a semifinal and scored a bunch of goals, and even then it was like, well, yeah, that's, that's what like I mean. Like, corners. that wasn't like a great tournament from him, or at least like you're not thinking it can't. He won he the Golden Boot. What he do you did. mean it wasn't a great tournament from? Well, him? okay, fair enough. I, but it's not remembered that way, is what I meant by that. Like, I don't think anyone would dispute that. Like, I mean, am I wrong? Am I being? Am I, mean, I being? Look, I just don't. I, what I don't understand is what is the standard you guys want for this guy? Like, because first of all, do you want him to have more recognition, and do you want him to go play for Real Madrid? I don't I think don't. you do. I, I think I'm not demanding exactly where he's at. I find it so like, I find it very curious considering how good he is that he is you know, and maybe I'm basing some of this off these articles that came out this week after this thing or that sort of ESPN UK thing, which I think was people saying behind the scenes things that plenty of us had said behind the scenes. But I just feel like Kane is regarded as a sort of like, oh yeah, him, as opposed to the best player of his generation. Or England, the best player of his national. That that's like, like I think if you're selecting strikers in the Premier League, I don't know what strikers you're taking over that him, unless you're saying that Mo Salah is a striker, or I, I don't know. No, like, I'm what, saying what Mo Salah strikers... is a pure is a pure heart of gold who would never dive ever in a game. Right, like, like that cheater Harry like, Kane. You know, like I, I, I don't know. I, I just. I I think he's more highly regarded than you think, but I, I I agree that his being boring contributes to him not being in the national discourse as much, and which then leads to these weird opinions where oh he doesn't have you know the X factor, or it leads us to discuss like why isn't he appreciated? Because you know what does he do? He shows up, he does his job, he scores goals, and and. And then he says very boring things about how, like, he's just buzzing to, you know, get out on the pitch and you just do what the gaffer tells him to do and da 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 Like, I think that is what we're talking about here. We're, like, 
I don't think he's underappreciated. I think very many people in that cover sports, that watch sports, look at him and go, yeah, he scores goals. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's great. Like, because uh, what what other strikers are there out there that people would choose for a team over him? You know, like Lewandowski. And maybe if you were picking a team for, like, the future, you'd pick Holland. But other, other than that? Aguero. Killing Mbappe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not saying Harry Kane's the best player. Obviously, there are other strikers in this conversation, but it's like, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, maybe we're just, like, paying way more attention to Stan fucking Collymore than anybody yeah, ever. Yeah, I think that's probably. Stan Collymore, it, but, it just, I, but I do like, think Collymore is voicing a sentiment that does exist. Yeah, but these people are morons. You're I right. Think is the important takeaway that Brian is, is astutely pointing out. Um, for his fellow morons, we, we played <laughs> West. Thank you ever said to me, Ben. We played West Brom this week. I had to dial it back like immediately. No, I know I you thought about it. You're like, oh wait, no, that's too much. Bring it back. <laughs> I mean, we played West uh, yeah. Brom this I mean, week. Harry we got to talk about something. Like, so, I mean, look, you know, the second Harry Kane wins an FA Cup, it's we'll see a different conversation, and that's going to be he's only won the FA Cup. But the second he wins the Premier League, then we're going to hear about how he has won the Champions League or a World Cup. You know, those goalposts will forever move. And as long as he's the Spurs scoring 20 goals a season, I really don't fucking care what the fucking shooting Oh, I agree with you. Him. I just okay. think it's I think it's interesting that he is regarded in this way when he is, I mean, just maybe it's is one it of those things. Is conversation interesting? <laughs> <laughs> That's the real question. Just just watching him every week, it's, I mean, he's such a stellar player. That's such a good goal. And I know it wasn't like it, it is best. It's not the best goal of the year. Certainly not his best goal of all time, but it was such a well-taken goal that Kane just no, makes I'll routine. What, that's a very, very fortunate goal. Because uh. I will tell you, there is no way that he knows that's where the goalkeeper is. And if the goalkeeper is playing that the way he should have played it, he catches it, like, easily. Nine times out of ten. Like, because that goalkeeper is in no man's land, as opposed to... What a one from Brian. Suddenly, Harry Kane is just a mediocre yeah. striker. Look at, no, look at Stan like, Ashlock over here. Let's not say that this goal is amazing when it's a very fortunate goal because Johnson no, didn't, that was a very didn't good come goal. out and clean him out or wasn't on his line where you're supposed if to. If nothing else, the way he moves the defenders around there is very impressive. I, I, it's a very good goal, and it won us the game, and I love Harry Kane so much, and I'm happy he's good again. So yeah, do you want to talk I'm, about, like, the team overall? I mean, we kind of have, Brian. I, what I just wanted to say was, you know, to, to keep up my persona as, you know, being amped and geeked and zooted about this team, um, including the West Ham match, we had this kind of run of easy matches that we were looking at before the schedule now kind of gets hard after the international break. And we took 10 points from four games. And while that West Ham match and the way it played out kind of makes you feel like it was a missed opportunity to not get 12, it's still pretty good. And, you know, while the last three matches haven't been, like, the same awe-inspiring, swashbuckling football, and they've been kind of ugly, but they've been victories. And we've put ourselves in a position now where we're in second place, and we've got our toughest run of fixtures coming up against some, you know, 
good teams that are maybe not good or that are maybe floundering or, you know, teams that are that should be in the conversation with us for top four. And and I think we're kind of actually on a good run of form with some good momentum, even though we don't like as fans really like the way we've played. The results have gone our way. And it's exactly kind of what you want heading into these matches. I don't think there's any team in the Premier League right now that's on a run of form they feel great about. I mean, even even Liverpool is like kind of eking it out right now. I mean, Liverpool's good. Leicester's good. Like they're the the table is very tight. You know, there's three points between first and sixth, which includes Southampton and Aston Villa, which tells you just how how good the Premier League is this season. But like, you know, none of Leicester and Liverpool have been bad, um, and Chelsea seems to be getting better after, you know, a patchy early run of form. So, like, you know, I, I think the, this next run of matches is going to be very, very decisive for us. I mean, if you haven't looked at the schedule, we play Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal. We get a break to play Palace, who have also been decent. And then we play Liverpool, Leicester, and Wolves. Um, and that's, you know, besides Arsenal, some very good teams that we're coming up against. And Unfortunately, Arsenal happens to be a rival, so it's going to be a harder match than it would be normally playing a team in 11th place. Um, I think this is going to really answer the question we've kind of been asking ourselves the last few weeks is, are we good and just playing smart and tactically boring, or are we bad and getting very lucky against bad teams? Uh, I think we're going to know very quickly what, 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 what version of Spurs we actually are. You know, if we get walked off the park by Man City and Chelsea the next two weeks, the tenor of this conversation is going to change dramatically. Um, and, and at the end of six weeks, we've, you know, lost four and drawn two. It's like, we're going to be back to, should we fire Jose territory? You know? Uh, and I, I honestly could not tell you where we are and what we're looking at and what to expect from these games because we've been so erratic and so inconsistent both stylistically, performance-wise, results-wise. I'm just... I have no sense of who we are as a team. I, I really well, I hope... The results haven't been that erratic, though. Well, I mean, it's like beating Man U 6-1 and then drawing to West Ham and Newcastle and losing to Everton, who just got the pants by Man United. You know, like, it's not... Like, yes, we haven't lost since opening day, but it's still been a little up and down. Well, there's always that sense of Mourinho plans. Mourinho does get decent results against better teams sometimes because he seems to develop a plan for those teams where sometimes he just sort of goes out and hope it works out against teams like Burnley or whoever. I mean, not always, but I, I don't know. It, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. I, I, I want to check in though on a team that definitely has lots of good things to feel about uh, to, to to think about. Uh, ben, I want to know how your Arsenal in laws are, are feeling about uh, Arteta these days, the savior of uh, Arsenal Football Club. How, how is uh, how is your brother in law doing with Arteta these days? I mean, it's just so sad to see Arsenal finally move on from a clear has-been like Arsene Wenger and struggle through the Emery years and get a actual visionary manager who is clearly the future of football. And the board has just not built him a squad capable of executing his direction. Like, I mean, 
This is a man who trained under Pep Guardiola, you know, arguably the best manager of the last 20 years. I mean, Alex Ferguson, he can have the 90s, but like in the last couple decades, it's it's been Pep Guardiola or no one. And Mikel Arteta trained at his feet and learned everything he knew, but also brought all of his knowledge that he learned playing under another visionary in Arsene Wenger. And you have this manager who is just this perfect marriage of two different footballing ethoses who has fused them together in one perfect style of play. And yet his players just don't know what to do. No matter no matter how good he is at coaching them, they just will not get it through their stupid heads how to do what Mikel Arteta wants. And I just can't imagine watching a team with a manager that good and, and players that that disappointing. I mean, it's just this is going to be a multi-year process. They've got to really invest in the way Arteta wants to invest, you know? That's right. Trust like he's, trusting, he's trusting the youth. You know, the signings that he's made have all been good, and the signings that, that the club has made against his will have been letting the team down. And I just don't understand why they're not just letting Mikel Arteta. Like, he should be, honestly, he should be player manager. Like, they need his presence in midfield as much as they need him on the touchline. And the cowards at Arsenal will not let him do this. And I don't, I mean, don't understand. What they should really be doing is tanking and trying to get a really high draft pick, honestly, I think. I think that's Kroenke's idea. I, I, I don't if know. they could just sign, if they could get the number one pick, draft Trevor Lawrence... They'd have the quarterback that they need in midfield. Um, I think they'll be perfect. How much? Uh, God, I, I I felt like them losing the Europa League and, and us potentially winning the Champions League was like the Arsenal nightmare scenario. But like, imagine a Jose Mourinho t- coach Tottenham team beating Arsenal, winning the title. I, I don't know which is worse for Arsenal fans because we're definitely doing that one. Oh, I mean, yes, we're definitely winning the league. That's not delusional or crazy at all. That part is, like, normal and See, sane we keep it, and, like, objective. Yeah, we, we don't get deluded here on Wheeler Dealer Radio. As Tottenham fans, we always are grounded in reality. That's right. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to lose to Arsenal because that's what's going to happen in a year where they suck. But they suck. Like, they just absolutely suck. Like, Well, they suck, and it's just, like... If you're an Arsenal fan, what are you getting excited about? For like, you know, like all those sort of, I mean, maybe Arteta will figure it out. I'm not so sure about that. But like, it's not like you're seeing your manager sort of put it together. You don't have a lot of players that I would be like, you know, Arsenal doesn't have some next young thing coming through. They don't have guys there where you're like, oh, we could build a team. I mean, it's a very deep, deep, dark hole they're digging for themselves over there. And, you know, it's just a real shame and you hate to see it. I mean, I saw... I think this was the week that I finally saw some narrative among Arsenal fans finally turn against Arteta. I saw people, Arsenal fans on Twitter, complaining that he was, like, literally micromanaging each pass, you know? Like, actually trying to instruct where every ball should go to the point where it was just ludicrous. That, like, there was just no overarching, competent, like, tactical structure. He was, like, actively trying to... Seriously, like, be a player manager, but play all 11 positions at the same time. Has, you know, has, you has, look your, at the, has your family turned on him yet? No, they have not. They, they still uh, think he's the real deal? 
<laughs> I think they're getting frustrated, but I, I don't think they're ready to blame him. You know, like some of the players have like Lacazette's really bad. It's like, well, well who keeps fucking starting Lacazette at striker every week and playing Aubameyang, your only good striker at left wing. I don't know. It couldn't be Arteta's fault, but yes, there's definitely some malaise setting in. Um, but I think a lot of it is like, well, this team is bad enough that like even a good manager couldn't get more out of them. And like maybe that's true. Well, whose fault that's is that? True, that's even funnier, and <laughs> I really hope that's the case. I hope Aubameyang is just washed, and they just bought his 30s on a contract based on him like top scoring the Premier League from a lot of penalties and overperformance of expected goals. And now they're just saddled with this guy whose contract they can't offload, much like Mesut Ozil, whose only job right now is to cheerlead on Twitter. Um, Can you imagine if Ozil, they, they finally get out from under Ozil's contract and Aubameyang's just as bad? Like, that's how like, fucking amazing that would be. I mean, so far he is. I saw a stat on Twitter uh, from, I think it was Belgian Hotspur, who's a good follow if you don't follow him. Um, he said that Harry Kane's expected goals per game is higher than Aubameyang's expected goals over the season. <laughs> and I think that's just absolutely delicious. There's something deeply funny to me. Like, if you were to hop into a time machine and tell me, like, five years ago, well, Arsenal gets Aubameyang in, like, you know, in 2018 or whenever they bought him, you know, I would have been very worried about that development. But it really hasn't worked out super well for them. I mean, they won an FA Cup just last year, Greg. What is Sorry, what is Jose won for Spurs? Good point. What is Harry Kane won for Spurs? Good point. Good point. Well, that's it's depressing. Like, they do love that, like, fucking banter line. And, it, boy, I am just so happy for them to keep trotting out. Like, you can hang on to that FA Cup forever. If that's – if I get to watch you play this shitty year after year, like, have as many FA Cups as you want. Well, they just all seem so oblivious of, like, oh, yeah, like – Ten years ago, you were, like, going undefeated and winning Premier Leagues and making Champions League finals, and now you're, like, happy you've bantered off an FA Cup in, like, a COVID year. Good work. I, I just don't care about Arsenal anymore the same way that I used to care. Like, it, the rivalry doesn't excite me quite as much, and, you know, obviously I don't have the the locality connection that people living in North London do or the familial aspect of it that Ben has... I care way more about beating Chelsea than I do about beating Arsenal anymore because to be beating Arsenal is now it's it's beating you know Wolves it's beating West Ham it's expected like they're a worse team than us like I care more about beating a team that are on our level that are actually our competition for stuff like Chelsea what a time to be alive it's like we're obviously not as good as peak Wenger Arsenal ever was you know when won the league or had an invincible season, that's a good accomplishment. But I definitely understand a little bit about how that rivalry must have felt to them at that time when it was like just these <laughs> noisy teams who were just like, oh, yeah, big deal, Tottenham, we're playing you guys this weekend. It's like it just isn't that big of a deal. You're right, in the scheme of things, like they're just not that good. I, I think Athletic uh, did an article recently about like the long-lost Man U-Arsenal rivalry. Um, which, like, yeah, it was a very big deal under, like, Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. It was, like, the two premier managers of the league. But, like, as soon as, like, that ended, it was sort of like, uh, who gives a shit about Arsenal? Like, we have way more important things to care about than this st- stupid, crappy team. 
Uh, and yeah, I, I feel kind of feel like we're getting there. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. I, I can't think of a better note to end any podcast on than fuck Arsenal. So why don't we end it there, guys? Uh, you can follow us online at our new Twitter account at WDR, as in Wheeler Dealer Radio, WDR Podcast. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. Brian, where can people find you on the tubes? You can find me on Twitter as well at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. Don't forget to uh, leave us a five-star review uh, because if you don't leave us one, we'll cry and be very sad. Uh, um, And also you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. So for Ben, for Brian, and of course for our patron saint, Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.